What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. This episode is going to be about the fundamentals report that went out on June 5th, and then I'm going to follow that up immediately with another episode here, hopefully in a couple hours, that will cover the June 12th fundamentals report. There's lots going on in these two weeks. I wanted to get them out kind of together, and that's the way it's going to work this week. If you want to sign up for the fundamentals report, make sure you do so at bitcoinandmarkets.com. And that's it, guys. Enjoy. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. It's been a little while since I live streamed. Last Wednesday was the last live stream. Um, had a busy weekend finishing my office behind me. <laughs> you can hopefully see a few little changes on the trim and stuff. Slowly but surely doing a DIY project here going to have a good background for these videos, but welcome, welcome back to the show. Today is Monday, June 5th, 2023, and it's Bitcoin Fundamentals Report Day. So every Monday, I put out a free weekly newsletter. Anybody can subscribe over on BitcoinAndMarkets.com, and then on Monday, I try to go through that as a live stream, you know, killing two birds with one stone, um, and yeah, so it is a great way to stay up on all the happenings in Bitcoin. You'll see I go through headlines, both Bitcoin and macro, price, mining, lightning, all the important news to keep you up to date. Let me share my screen and get right into it. Bitcoinandmarkets.com. This is Bitcoin Fundamentals Report number 244. Let me just make sure all of my streaming is going out. Everything looks like it's checking out. Okay, so I start out each issue with a meme, and I saw this one from Memeing Bitcoin, and it was pretty awesome because, yeah, price has just been really, really slow. We have been at these levels since um, March, I believe. Let me go back and check. Yeah, mid-March, we've been at these levels. And so, yeah, the Bitcoin price is just going pretty slowly. I thought this was a very cool meme. All right, then we get into snapshot of Bitcoin. Uh, price has been hanging out, and I do see that we're selling off right now as we speak. After I put out the fundamentals report, um, we have a dip. So we'll see if that dip is within my prediction for the week because I do a price section in the newsletter. So did I predict this or what do I have to say about this price sell off? Um, okay, so weekly trend is we're just kind of hanging out in this general area around $26,000, even $28,000, and we will see where we go from here. Media sentiment is slightly positive. That might have shifted just again since I released this. Binance uh, is now being sued by the SEC. I think that's what this little bit of dip in the price is that we're seeing right now. Uh, but overall, the general sentiment in the media is surprisingly positive. We've had things like the, you know, the electricity tax for Bitcoin miners, that is DOA. We have bills in Texas that I did write about lower down here on the, the newsletter that uh, are leaning positive for Bitcoin. We have the Hong Kong thing opening up. We have Fidelity and we have JP Morgan making statements about Bitcoin. So. This is all slightly positive. Of course, we will start seeing this becoming more positive as we hit the next leg of the bear market and we start going up. Okay, network traffic is still high, but it is coming down. We'll take a look at the mempool. We'll take a look at hash rate and difficulty. Um, the mining industry is very, very stable. Price section. So we have... Uh, the weekly price, 26760 but of course, that is before this most recent dip that we're seeing here in the last few minutes. Uh, that was down 3% from last issue. Market cap was still over half of a trillion. We'll see what uh, that is now. It might be actually below half a trillion as we speak. Satoshi's per dollar, 3733 One finny or one ten-thousandth of a Bitcoin is $2.68. Mining sector. So the last get difficulty adjustment that happened last week was up 3.4%. Um, the next estimated adjustment is negative, but we're still early in this cycle. We have nine days to go. 
So we'll see how um, this dip, this price dip affects the hash rate, which would affect the next difficulty adjustment. Mempool is 180, sorry, 180 megabytes, according to mempool.space. That is down significantly in the last week. Fees for the next block under $1, 26 sats per virtual byte. And the median fee is around 90 cents. Lightning network capacity increased slightly in BTC, 0.1%. But the channels uh, fell by 0.1%. 500 channels closed in the last week. Uh, net, I guess. Net change in the last week was negative 500. Okay, then I have, in case you missed it, section. we've I had a couple blog posts in the last week. And it's is responses to common criticisms in the gold versus Bitcoin debate. It could be fiat versus Bitcoin. I might expand this to include fiat versus Bitcoin. But gold versus Bitcoin, we have a few uh, things to talk about in these two blog posts. I've opened up both of them to public. If you want to get first access to these blog posts, become a paid member over on BitcoinMMarkets.com. Community live streams, I published two. I only did two last week, so uh, there's that. I am still working on one more to hopefully get out uh, today or tomorrow. And FedWatch, of course, this last week. Okay, let's get on to the headlines. Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin. uh, The headline from JP Morgan was, Bitcoin retail demand to remain strong ahead of having event. The Bitcoin halving estimated for March 2024 is starting to make its way into the headlines. Headlines and reports from major players too. So this is from JP Morgan, or an article from about JP Morgan, and it said recent increase in retail demand can be partly attributed to the advent of Bitcoin ordinals and BRC20 tokens. Okay. The, this came from Coindesk. Of course, I didn't link to Coindesk. I linked to an archive of this article, but... You can tell that they're still all about their tokens and their NFTs and stuff, the report said. But more importantly, quote, retail investor demand for Bitcoin is likely to strengthen as we approach the April 2024 halving event. So this is important because they call out Bitcoin by name. They don't say crypto. okay, and they point out a time frame and that we're building into this. So for Bitcoin specifically, we're going to see a strengthening of demand, which is, I think, a pretty big deal coming from JP Morgan. But we're seeing these type of headlines now about the having more and more. We are in having season. Now, one reason why you might people new to the space might be like, well, how is this not priced in? How do people not understand that a having is coming? And so they would price it in. Well, it's because it's. It's not just the supply cut, but the economy itself is growing. Bitcoin's economy is growing. And so you would have to price in a halving event in the current economy. But in three to six months, you know, the economy is going to be bigger, maybe 25% bigger because it keeps growing. And so you can't price in what the what the halving means for the physical changes in the market one year hence, right? So you have to constantly be updating this. Plus, there is a social aspect to this that uh, the having drives its own news cycle. And I've said this for a very long time, probably six years or so, I've been talking about this specific uh, dynamic is that when the having comes up, we start seeing having articles, just like this from JP Morgan. We start seeing people thinking about the having, talking about the having. And that runs its own hype cycle. And every having that goes on, I talked about this with the Orange Pill Addicts podcast, the guys out of Kansas City. And they were talking to about the decreasing effect of havings because, you know, it's going to be a, a smaller absolute change. Like going from, say, one Bitcoin per block to ha- a half a Bitcoin per Per block is not as big a change as going from 50 to 25, right? So there should be some uh, decreasing effect of the halvings. But that isn't really the case either because we have uh, the more halvings that occur, 
the more people will be certain of the fixed supply, the more people will talk about the fixed supply, the more the fixed supply aspect of Bitcoin will take center stage instead of the, um, you know, pumpamentals of it. It will be more about the fixed supply. And so the effects of the having from the monetary side might decrease, but the social effects will increase. So how does that net out? I don't know yet. I, I really do think there will be some sort of repricing event that if you haven't got in, you're not going to be able to get in at a uh, a similar price point. You know, it's going to jump up to 100K and never come back down. Um, and so those people that didn't get in missed out because the market is not the market is not nice to people. You know, it goes kind of the path of most resistance almost. And so that is, it causes the most pain to market participants that are betting on prices and things like that. So it, it shouldn't be easy. You know, it's not easy getting gains in the market and the market will choose the path, which sucks the most liquidity out from players, you know? And so most people will get wrecked in the process. So really the only thing you can do is buy and hold don't buy more than you're willing to lose, obviously, but buy and hold for the long term and then check check your balance in five years. <laughs> That's pretty much uh, the best way to not miss out on a repricing event. Okay, let's continue on the news events. New poll from the Cato Institute shows twice as many Americans oppose a CBDC than support it. And so here is the um, pie chart. And I did... I shared the report here with you guys on Telegram, so I'm not going to like do all the charts over to you. But um, and actually, I think I looking at this pie chart now. I think I, yeah, I said 54 percent of respondents, but it's really 49 percent. Okay, so 34 percent of respondents to this Cato poll they opposed a CBDC and only 16% supported it. I wonder who's supporting this really. Who who would support a CBDC? The, the people that support it should be in this don't know category because <laughs> they don't know what's going on. But anyway, um, it's interesting. Half of people don't know anything about a CBDC, but of those that do, it is two thirds that don't support it. Very, very interesting. So this is kind of uphill battle for these people that are pushing a CBDC and I have here that the other question, one of the other questions that they asked was, um, let's see if they, if they'd oppose a CBDC, if it meant certain things, opposition was the greatest, if it meant the government could control your spending. Okay. They asked another uh, respondents also said they would be more likely to approve of a CBDC if it cut down on money laundering. So we should expect them to push that angle hard while denying that they control they can control your spending. Of course, we know that's a lie. Most money laundering happens from the elites, from government agencies, officials, and their families. It, it doesn't happen from the little guy. So. Yeah, the, the CBDCs can stop the money laundering from the little guy, but they can't stop the money laundering from the big guys. Uh, so this it's just an interesting way to look at it. Okay, continuing on. VC investing in scams has collapsed. And I saw this uh, chart on Twitter. It, it's amazing. So this is of global VC capital raised for crypto firms. And you can see it's constantly increasing until 2022, it hit $21 billion of VC capital raised for crypto firms. And this year, it has collapsed down to half a billion. Of course, we don't go back further in time than 2008 to see when this all started. But this is the lowest in maybe ever since VC capital started being put into crypto firms. It's very, very interesting. And to me, that's a huge win for the space. It's a huge win for um, or a huge blow against scams. And I don't think altcoins can survive with this type of collapse 
in financing. One of the things I talked about, have said about Ethereum is they made a mistake doing the minimum viable issuance because their whole model of Ponzi on top of Ponzi, you know, scam on top of scam depended on the base layer of inflation from the Ethereum network. And once they took the minimum, once they took the big inflationary stimulus out of the Ethereum network, uh, most of this ecosystem is going to slowly get rolled up and collapse. Now, this is kind of along those same lines. You take out the VC capital because VCs were a lot of the scammers, you know, the pump and dumps saying this is revolutionary technology, blockchain, all the things. DeFi is revolutionary. Uh, what else? NFTs are the next big thing. Metaverse, Web3, all this garbage. And they put their money behind this marketing campaigns. And so there's not going to be as much marketing campaigns. There's not going to be this inflationary stimulus from the uh, Ethereum network pumping out more Ethereum, they're actually doing the opposite. They're sucking value out of their ecosystem. And so we're going to see a, a major, major collapse, I think, in the crypto industry. On top of that, of course, the SEC things with, you know, with Binance and going after all of these other scams in the space. So I think this is very bullish because I also said that during the halving, we have to put this in context of the halving as well. So when you put this in context of the halving, you have during those... Uh, previous halvings, you had this VC capital pumping marketing for altcoins, alternatives for Bitcoin. And so a lot of money that Bitcoin's hype cycle of the halving, it drove this hype, but the investment was being siphoned off by marketing by VC capital for alternatives. So in this cycle, we're not seeing this huge amount of marketing of scams. And we're seeing the, the Bitcoin having cycle come around. So maybe now this is going to be a huge way to get that, to feel the direct impact of the having hype, the having deflationary spiral that goes on or disinflationary spiral. So anyway, that's very interesting to put it in that context. Okay, next, sticking on Ethereum. I usually don't write a lot about altcoins, but... There was a lot of news out there for, for these guys. So um, has Ethereum been taken over by a cartel? Here's what you need to know. And this was an article from Decrypt. And they're talking about um, proof of stake. And they have proof of stake uh, derivatives or liquid staking derivatives. Is that what they call it? Liquid staking derivatives, LSDs. Now, Lido is at the center of this. They're a place you can stake your Ethereum and you can get this Lido token, which is a liquid staking derivative. And you can use that actually to go buy more Ethereum too. It's, it's a recycling and a leverage play here. But uh, this is interesting because a lot of people are starting to see this centralization. Now, I, when I read this too, or when you think about this, this problem in Ethereum, you have to think about, the inflationary stimulus that once that Ethereum once had is gone. So people are going to rush to what? The safety of the base layer, the safety of the base token. And eventually they'll run from Ethereum's base token towards Bitcoin when this ends up collapsing. But right now you can see that they're the only game in town is, is this staking le uh, leverage play. But here we go. The threat at hand is the current market dominance of Lido, which currently accounts for 74% of all liquid staking derivatives, according to DeFi Llama. The pool contains more than 7 million ETH worth approximately $13 billion, and it has grown by 12% over the past 30 days. Uh, so you can see that the... Other ways to make money in the Ethereum ecosystem, which was to invest in Ponzi's, ride the pump and dumps, right? Ride the pump from the marketing of the VCs. All of that is gone. What is left is reinvesting into Ethereum, into Ethereum staking, double down, leverage long, 
That's the only thing left. We're going to see more and more Ethereum probably go into this type of thing because of that exact reason. And when you have multiple options, you know, a lot of people say in Ethereum, they wanted multiple implementations of the base code. But when you have multiple implementations of the base software, the Ethereum, legit Ethereum protocol, what happens is that you introduce the opportunity for consensus failures. Because if these implementations are not exactly the same, there will be a bug somewhere in the code during some type of behavior that causes these nodes to go out of sync with each other. And we've seen this multiple times in Ethereum's history. So over the years, there, you know, it started maybe they had uh, three and then they tried to expand to six, seven, eight major Ethereum implementations. And now that has gone back pretty much to one because of this reason. Now, think about that in the context of the staking. The reason why there is centralization here is because it's less risky to go with the biggest player. You know, there, you don't want to stake with the hundredth most popular staking service because it's probably a scam and they're probably going to run away with your money somehow, right? Or they're going to get sued by the SEC because they're taking out all the low-hanging fruit. So it's going to concentrate into a central, a single staking provider like this. And the further, the longer it goes, the worse it's going to get. So let me read what I said here about this. Their community is calling for mitigation of this centralization before it becomes an attack vector for regulators. My take is, if this centralization is possible to game the system, it will be used. Of course, people are going to game the system in all ways. And if it's via centralization, it's via centralization. It doesn't matter. Why would the central designers of Ethereum not consider this? Because they actually only LARP at decentralization anyway. When they go on, or sorry, when they go in to fix this, if they can fix this, it will once again prove they are centralized in the eyes of the regulators. So they're kind of in a catch-22 or a game theory problem here where they can't go in and necessarily fix all these things because they will be obviously more uh, centralized and they will open themselves up to SEC action. So very interesting. All right, next one up. Tether supply hits new all-time high at $84 billion. And this comparison chart, it's taken from CoinMarketCap, but it was from Gabber on Twitter. And I linked to him there. But year-to-date, Tether supply is up $17 billion, while the USDC supply is down $16 billion. And I just giggle at this. I laugh at this. I love this, actually, because, um, you know, Tether has been a super strong supporter of the Bitcoin ethos, of a Bitcoin use case of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, They have been the victims, I would say, of repeated and constant FUD. In my opinion, this FUD was probably driven by USDC. Jeremy Allaire is probably driven by Circle, is probably driven by Circle in in conjunction with maybe some big banks, something like that. But I laugh when I see this, and I love to see Tether doing well. Also, they're going to be reinvesting their money into Bitcoin, which is super smart. They're going to be – now I just saw something else that they announced about Bitcoin mining, supporting um, energy infrastructure or something. So, yeah, Tether is a whale of a company, and they have never backstabbed Bitcoin. They've never been an enemy of Bitcoin. Bitfinex, their kind of parent company – has always been a friend of Bitcoin. Yes, they've offered uh, altcoin trading, but they've done a few good things. Like I remember during the Bcash fork, they put out a futures market for Bcash versus Bitcoin way before the fork was supposed to happen, way before the user activated software. And that futures market showed a 95 to 5% discrepancy between Bitcoin being valued way higher 
than Bcash being valued way lower. So th that it, it didn't really make a difference, but it showed the truth out there. And you could always point at that. If you're arguing about Bcash back in the day, you could say, well, how come Bcash is so low on the futures market? Right? So anyway, that's uh, cool about Tether. I hope they continue to have success. Of course, don't grow too fast, Tether, because you will be get the attention that you might not want. So, you know, 84 billion, that's awesome. Keep going, but you know, don't grow too fast. Don't be like a Binance and attract all the attention. Okay, let's go into some macro headlines. Uh, OPEC to cut oil production by another 1 million barrels per day, people. We just talked about this last week, I think. And I said, oh, I don't think it's coming soon because we didn't see it in the charts. But now if you zoom in on this chart here, um, you do see two days prior having a bump up going into the OPEC meeting in Vienna. And now we've had the announcement. We did rally all the way or it opened up at the 50-day moving average, which I think is very interesting because if you look back at the April cut, it also happened at the 50-day moving average. And if you look back to the October cut, it was right around when it crossed the 50-day moving average in October as well. Each time is going around this 50-day moving average. That's fascinating to me. But let's go and take a look at the live price. All right. So this is a live price. So it's a little bit lower than that snapshot that we had there on the report down to 72.81 has closed that gap. I mean, it closed the gap. So very interesting. We'll see which way this goes. Um, what did I say here? Rumors of this cut had been circulating for about a week. Last issue, I wrote about the ouching comment from one of their government officials. Well, this the time has come. OPEC has announced they will cut production unilaterally. Uh, I should have said Saudi has announced that they will cut oil production unilaterally, meaning not along with other OPEC countries by 1 million barrels per day. This reeks of desperation and panic, in my opinion. What's to stop other oil producers from simply covering this gap? Taking it as an opportunity to to increase production without affecting price. WTI crude did open higher right on the 50-day moving average and has since faded. There is a possibility this leads to higher oil prices in the near term, but I'm skeptical. I'm still skeptical of this. All right, let's take a look at U.S. jobs data. That came out last, I think on Friday, and it was mixed. The establishment survey which measures payrolls, they showed a massive gain in the number of jobs. I think it was over 300,000 positive jobs created uh, for the month of May. Was it May? It wasn't April. It's not that far lagged. I think it's for May. And um, so that looks really huge. Like we're continuing to accelerate on the economy. You know, the employment situation is getting tighter and tighter. However, the household survey, which is what the unemployment rate is calculated from, the household survey, which measures um, humans employed, okay, that showed the opposite. It showed almost a 300% decline in the number of employed people. So you had uh, 300,000 300, people less people working, but 300,000 more jobs. So there is something going on here. People, of course, are getting second and third jobs. I know this from personal experience, people I know and talk to. Uh, lots of people are getting second jobs to make ends meet. Also, um, there has been... You know, a lot of people talk about the problems with these surveys, and there is some automatic adjustments that are built into the establishment survey. And I think they add around 200,000 jobs just because, because of these automatic 
increases that are programmed into this. So there are problems with this. Okay. And yes, I'm the one that kind of defends these government statistics, at least from the U S but there are problems with it. But if we know those problems, then we can use them to inform our theory still, right? If we see that the, there's this automatic, oh crap, we see that there's this automatic adjustment. So we can you still use that by adjusting for that, right? And comparing that against other surveys and other things in the economy. We don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, oh, they're lying to us. Things are going to collapse. The dollar is dead, right? That, first, <laughs> first off, how do you jump? Most people just jump to the dollar's dead uh, after one one leap. But anyway, that's that's what I'd have to say about that. Also, um, there, you know, we're gaining secondary jobs, and these secondary jobs usually aren't as productive as the primary job. So we're we're gaining these less productive jobs, and Overall, I think that will eventually break down and will turn over. Okay, so that is all the macro headlines, the Bitcoin headlines. Let's get into the price. So uh, let me pull up a live chart because the price has moved now since I put this out. So share this tab. So this is what we're looking at here. Um let me bring up some moving averages. Breaking the 128 day. This heading down towards that $25,000 mark. Okay, let's go back to the report. Uh, the Bitcoin chart is showing some weakness here. That's what I start off with. And of course, then it has since broken down. But nothing significant to report. It was rejected by the 50-day moving average and is, once again, kind of hanging out in no man's land. If it breaks down below the 128-day purple line, price has a date with 25000 And that's what we're seeing. It dipped. Let me bring this back up. Has dipped below the purple line. And it got as low as 25480 So we'll see if it can make it down to 25000 Um We'll see. But what else did I write here on the report? I still do not know where the selling volume will come from to provide fuel for a sustained sell-off. All dips should be looked at as a buy-the-dip opportunity. I've been looking at the below period from 2020 for a comparison. There are a couple of parallels. One, price was coming off of a big rally that had stalled. Number two, price was testing the 128-day and under a downward-sloping 50-day. Okay, so let's pull this up. You see this is back in 2020. It's post-COVID, post-having, right before the big 2020 into 2021 rally. You see we're pinched between the 50-day and the 128-day. And we eventually did break out. So that's what I was comparing to this cycle. There was another one here back in 2016. Uh, You can see this is right after the Bitfinex hack as we were starting to turn around and go higher in the 2016 to 2017 bull market. We had the Bitfinex hack sold off, kind of stabilized around the 128 day, and then finally broke out and rallied from there. So those are the two periods in Bitcoin's history that I could find that were somewhat similar to what we're seeing now. And let me go back to this first chart and kind of show how we're being pinched between the 50-day and the 128-day. We have since broken down out of that, but this is an initial reaction probably to the Binance news. And like I said, a possible buy-the-dip opportunity here. I, that's how I'm seeing this because I really still do not see the overall amount of selling that would be needed to sustain a lower price. Okay, yes, the Bitcoin price is set the last Satoshi sold. I get it. And if the order books are very thin, then there's a big market sell. It's going to chew through that order book rapidly, and you'll have a price spike down. 
But to maintain that level, guys, you need to have consistent supply. So if price is dipping and then I'm here saying buy the dip, how many other people in Bitcoin are saying buy the dip? And they put in, um, you know, a couple hundred bucks a piece, a million people. So you're talking 400 or $200 million demand coming on the market because of the price dip. So to maintain those lower prices that were eaten through because the order books were very thin and there was a large sell, you have to meet that demand. So there, there needs to be enough supply, $200 million worth of supply at those price levels to enable the price to stay there. And most likely that won't happen. The 200 million or 300 million, 400 million, however much is coming in on this buy the dip opportunity is going to buy that price right back up. And so we're going to see a long wick. Um, I don't see where the supply is going to come from to keep the price lower. I hope that makes sense for everybody because this is, people are not scared right now. People are not scared in Bitcoin. People are not selling. Order books are thin, both directions. So if you see a big sell-off, it's going to have a big bounce. All right, so that's what I have to say about that. Let's go down. I have another chart here from the stocks. And I finally have reluctantly admitted that there is a correlation between stocks and Bitcoin. That might be funny to hear from people that have been following my content for, like, say, the last six months or the last year. But if you go back and listen to some of my earlier content, I was for years saying that Bitcoin is uncorrelated. And it is, I guess, if you zoom out far enough, you know, if you take a four-year moving average or something like that. But uh, it, it, there is one correlation that is positive for all of Bitcoin's life, and that is the dollar. So that it is correlated to the dollar. And it has uh, on long time frames, and it has been correlated to stocks in the last two, three years, highly correlated. So, uh, yeah, I have reluctantly accepted that it's correlated, at least for the time being. But anyway, so this is what's going on in the stock market. Just look at this big, I mean, just big rally over the last week. Let's go look at a live price. Okay. Let me take these moving averages off. So it continues to go higher. I mean, we're green on the day, a third of a percent higher on what was this Friday. We were one and a half percent higher out of yearly highs. You know, to find these levels, you have to go all the way back to August of 2022. And just for a few days, you have to go all the way back to May of 2022 more than a year ago to find these similar levels if you discount these like two days here in August. This is huge, guys. And it gets worse when you look at the NASDAQ. I mean, the NASDAQ, you have to go all the way back here to, jeez, uh, April of 2022 to find similar levels. This is not how a bear market rally looks. Go back in the history of a stock market. This is not how a bear, bear market rally works. Okay, let's look, go back to the report. And I say stocks have rallied hard over the last couple of weeks, leaving Bitcoin behind a little. It remains to be seen if stocks are catching up to Bitcoin year to date, because Bitcoin has moved a lot year to date. Uh, and Bitcoin remains the leading indicator in this relationship or if stocks are getting a mind of their own and Bitcoin will follow. But if we see a dip in Bitcoin and we're talking about supply shortages and we're talking about having coming up and we're talking about all this stuff, volatility returning to Bitcoin, you see a price dip. At the same day, you see the stock market shooting up and these are highly correlated asset classes. I don't think this dip is going to last for Bitcoin. Okay, let's continue moving down here. We have mining headlines. So on this report, you know, I do the major headlines for Bitcoin and macro, the Bitcoin price, mining headlines, 
um, mining sector data, and lightning network news. So I cover all bases in Bitcoin. Make sure, as an admin note, guys, make sure you're subscribed. I'm live streaming over on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch. Uh, where else? Twitter right now. Hi, Twitter. People, that's where I get my, probably my most views. And Telegram. So join the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. That's on the channel where we cut it up all day about Bitcoin and macro. So anyways, um, okay, back to the headlines for mining. El Salvador unleashes volcano energy with 241 megawatts planned Bitcoin mining operation. The aim is to position the country as a major global player in the Bitcoin mining industry while promoting energy competitiveness, diversification, and geographic expansion for the Bitcoin network. Adopting a debt-free approach, El Salvador plans to construct a 241 megawatt renewable power generation park in the Metapan region combining solar and wind projects. The total commitment for the project is $1 billion. And I, I think they've raised all of it. Uh, they might've been oversubscribed. I'm not sure. But $1 billion is a huge raise for a small country, El Salvador, that has been traditionally wracked by a lot of violence and you know, not these big infrastructure plans. I mean, this to me shows like Bitcoin makes you professional. Bitcoin makes you legit. And it's making El Salvador legit. I really do believe that. Okay, beginning with the first investment of 250 million, bootstrapped by key industry leaders with co collaboration from top developers and manufacturers of renewable energy technology, as well as Bitcoin mining experts on a global scale. So very, very interesting. Next one up, Bitcoin miners gain support from Texas with two bills passed, one halted. In the past few weeks, two bills, SB 1929 and HB 591, that show support for miners have made it through the legislative stage and are awaiting Greg Abbott's signature. If signed, they take effect September 1. The bill, SB 1929, requires miners whose energy capacity is larger than 75 megawatts to register with the Public Utilities Commission of Texas as large load operators, which then shares their data with the Electricity Reliability Council of Texas, the grid operator. Meanwhile, HB 591 was sent to the governor on April 18th and will introduce tax exemptions from companies that put to use otherwise wasted gas, including data centers. The third bill, SB 1751, dubbed by some the, quote, anti-Bitcoin mining bill, and which would have capped the industry's participation in cost-saving demand response programs, was stopped at the committee stage. So overall, this is a win-win-win for Bitcoin. I mean, it's not necessarily good that these big power users have to register, but it's not the other way around. You know, it's getting these players into the fabric of the Texas economy. They're becoming important players in the Texas economy. And these bills signify that. I mean, we have to be careful how much, how, how integrated and regulated Bitcoin becomes large blocks of Bitcoin hash power, but that will come. Okay. There's not like, you can't, what, what's the saying? Don't spite uh, the good for the perfect. I oh, mean, I can't, don't uh, discount the good waiting for the perfect. I can't remember the, that exact saying, but this is good. It's not perfect by any means, but Bitcoin is growing. Bitcoin will learn. Bitcoin will adapt. And not Bitcoin the protocol, but Bitcoin the movement, Bitcoin the, the uh, money, Bitcoin the market, Bitcoin and markets, right? Bitcoin and the market will adapt as we go forward. But it's the fundamental tenet 
that Bitcoin cannot be changed. Bitcoin is a decentralized network that gives it these concrete uh, properties. And these concrete properties then interact with the market. How, how do I want to put this? That the concrete properties, since they cannot be changed, it's like gold's atomic number. You know, it can't be changed and the market has to adapt to gold. Bitcoin's properties are concrete or they're golden. I don't know exactly how to say that. It's like an atomic number, right? Bitcoin's atomic number is 21 million. Maybe we should say that. Bitcoin's atomic number is 21 million and it can't be changed. It's concrete. And so the market has to adapt to the properties of Bitcoin. And it will. So yes, this stuff isn't perfect. What's going on in Texas? It's not perfect, but it's good. And it just shows that Bitcoin is becoming ingrained in the economy, ingrained in people's hearts and minds. Okay, let's continue. Difficulty and hash rate. So Bitcoin difficulty jumped 3.4% last week to a new all-time high difficulty. Um, but it's been incredibly flat. I mean, yes, it's gone up slightly, and I talked about that last week. But overall, just look at this chart. You know, it's been very, very steady and stable for the last three months. The same amount of time we've been around these levels. Like, remember, I looked at the price chart, and it was all the way back in, like, March that we were at these levels. And look, March, we're higher than we were in March for hash rate, for difficulty. So, you know, it's stable. It's showing positive uh, developments within the deep fundamentals of the space. I call the mining fundamentals, the deep fundamentals, because they're involved with supply and demand, investors, regulation, every, pretty much every important aspect of the Bitcoin space, they have a deep relationship to. So the hash rate is a deep fundamental. And it's higher than it was back in March when we were at these levels. Okay, Mempool, let's bring this one up. Mempool has been chewing through this. We have declined um, 18% from last week. So from 220 megabytes in the Mempool to 180 megabytes in the Mempool. We'll see what this price dip does to the Mempool. But so far down, about a fifth has been chewed through. So we'll see another month. And we could be back down to very low levels in the mempool. All right, next section is Lightning Network. Voltage partners with, sorry, Voltage partners with Google Cloud to expand Lightning Network solutions globally. Now, Voltage, I did talk to some of the Voltage guys there at the conference. They had a pretty centralized, centrally located booth, and they were giving away these uh, sandals. And my wife wanted some of those, so you know, we went back. And talked with them a couple times, uh, but anyway, they they seem to be very good Bitcoin company with proper Bitcoin ethos. But anytime I see people doing things with Google, I don't like it. Okay, Google just came out; it just was leaked that um, Google had been tracking people's activity on hospital websites, and so they were tracking medical uh, records for people, and they were selling that data. This is just a recent leak out of Google. So Google is an evil company and I don't like to see people partnering with them, but Voltage is a uh, you know strong Bitcoin company. So anyway, let's just read what this has to, what this uh, article has to say. Voltage stated in the announcement that their solution helps enterprises overcome three key challenges. By utiliz utilizing Google's cloud vast network infrastructure voltage said it can address user needs more efficiently the announcement described the partnerships several benefits including the ability to serve a global audience across various regions initial operations in iowa the netherlands and singapore as well as developments on a leading cloud platform with superior availability and networking so i've concluded i mean i'm no expert in these type of agreements or anything, but it seems to be just a basic hosting contract. You know, they're going to be hosting with Google and that's big news in that Google's name attached to Bitcoin's lightning network is a big win. So this is bullish, even though I don't like Google. 
Okay, next article here from Lightning or for Lightning is uh, Binance to support the Lightning Network for its exchanges and wallet services. With traders and investors opting for cheaper and faster transactions, the largest exchange by trading volume is looking to integrate the Lightning Network for its Binance Pay and related wallet services. According to CZ, every exchange should adopt the Layer 2 payment protocol as a helpful innovation for the future. According to CZ, the principal limitation of the Lightning Network is the inability to pre-generate addresses. And I agree with that. It's very hard. It's it's a real-time payment network. So you have to have everything set up to point of sale type of so it's it's geared towards point of sale. It's not geared towards necessarily like a bank account transfer, which is a lot what's going on with the exchanges um, or recurring type payments. Okay. So that's one of the limitations, I think, is a pre-generated address because you're thinking about it as a bank account versus a point a POS system. So Anyway, I agree with CZ there, which is why the Binance team is working on a way around this challenge. The protocol will, however, be enabled for small transactions at first. And while CZ did not provide a specific date for the rollout, he said efforts were already underway as part of the platform's commitment to deliver benefits like saved costs with faster transactions to users. So Binance and Coinbase now are apparently working on lightning network and the big news today was that binance is now being sued by the sec i do not have any details on that at this time because it did come out just before the live stream um but i will be talking about it on telegram so t.me forward slash bitcoin and markets is the telegram uh, check out bitcoin and markets.com sign up to become a paid member to support my content as well as getting you know access to early blog posts and access to our monthly price forecasting competition the closest person every month for, uh, from our paid member pool there is going to be winning 20 sats of 20 dollars worth of sats on the lightning network so check out bitcoinandmarkets.com and become a member today all right guys that's going to do it for me for this monday hope you guys have a great rest of your day great start to your week and i'll see you on the next one bye